You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting edition of the Horizons Church Podcast. Joining me once again, almost a full year after his debut on the podcast, is our friend, Dr. Bill Barker, who is with us by phone today. Uh, Bill, thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much, Josiah. It's, it's good to be back with you all, of course. As, uh, as you know, I always enjoy being in contact with you and, and your family and Horizons. And so it's, uh, it's always a great, a great pleasure and a great honor. So yes. thank you all. Yes, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure is all ours. So today we wanted to pick your brain. You may not say that by the end of the podcast. So. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe. You should withhold uh, judgment. Yeah, so. <laughs> So today we wanted to pick your brain a little bit on the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. You actually wrote your dissertation on the eschatological banquet in Isaiah chapters 25 through 27, if I remember correctly. Before we get into a discussion specifically on that topic and those chapters, I thought it would be helpful if maybe we just kind of got a primer from you on the Old Testament prophets, because I think that's a section of the Bible that maybe is a little misunderstood by the average person. When we hear prophets, I think one of the go-to thoughts is, oh, we're talking about prophecy, the future, we're dealing with foretelling and all those sorts Mm -hmm. of things, which of course the prophets do deal with a bit, but that's not their primary concern, I think, as you go through and read them. So why don't you uh, give our listeners just a, a little primer here on who the prophets were and what they were really all about. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And even before we jump in that, just to say all Christians, I think, should love biblical prophecy in the books of the prophets. If you think about the Old Testament and you break it down chapter by chapter and the New Testament chapter by chapter, then the Old Testament is roughly 80% of God's word to us. So that that's substantial. And then within that, almost half is the prophets yeah. uh, and prophecy. This really important set of messages that the Lord is giving to us. So it's important that we dig into it. And I think sometimes it can appear to be mysterious and and something that just is impenetrable uh, for most <laughs> Christians. And, and, you know, we're just separated by such time and culture and, and even some of the poetry and language. And, and I guess one of the things that's on my heart is to make sure that believers, when we think about biblical prophecy, we, we can demystify it and really understand that what what the New Testament says is mm-hmm. is true, as Paul wrote, that all Scripture is God-breathed, that it's all profitable and for our welfare as followers of Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and that especially is true of prophecy. And so we can reflect on the New Testament writing, you know, when Paul writes and says that all Scripture is useful and profitable for uh, for the Father of Christ, and and that certainly includes prophecy. And so I really think that you're right, Josiah, we need to define what biblical prophecy is, because it certainly is not always predicting the future. Now, occasionally, that does happen, but the overarching theme of biblical prophecy is that God's people are being called back to faithfully follow Him. And that, that's a timeless message for any follower of God, right? More often than not, it is a warning to not follow after ourselves or other deities, Mm -hmm. other gods, idolatry, but to really faithfully follow the one true living God. Now, sometimes, as I said, uh, predictions of the future may come as a small portion of that, as a sign of God's sovereignty, Mm -hmm. uh, his understanding of what is to come, and to prove his warnings are true and his promises are true. But that's a very small part of this overarching message Mm -hmm. um, that these prophets were God using people to speak to people, but all guided by the 
Holy Spirit. In fact, Second Peter 1 in the New Testament, you know, Peter specifically mm-hmm. says, look, all the prophets of old were guided by the Holy Spirit right. with the message for all of us. And their primary task is to call us as God's people back to faithfulness. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to just hear you expound a little more. In what ways were the prophets calling, particularly the nation of Israel, of course, in what ways were they calling the Israelites back to covenant faithfulness? Like what were often their contexts and what were their means uh, for doing that? And how did that end up playing out for them? Yeah, that's a loaded question, as you know, because, you know, when we talk about all the prophets, we're talking about spans of hundreds of years and, mm-hmm. and different parts of Israel that they are prophesying to, or the kingdom of Judah, or even different nations outside Israel. And so they use a lot of different means to to communicate their messages. And even the idea of covenant faithfulness, what does that mean? It means that, you know, that the Israelites had made this covenant with God, and God had made a covenant with them. In other words, they made a series of legally binding promises to one another, that the Israelites would faithfully faithfully serve God and that God would faithfully support his people. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, in different times and places, because of God's deep love for his people, God's deep love for humanity, he sends prophets when they start to get off track. It's like a GPS, you know, autopilot like correction, right? Like he's sending a <laughs> message or, or if you're ever on GPS and you know, you hear that voice say mm-hmm. rerouting or, you know, something <laughs> like that, you know, that this is God's attempt to send the message to say, you need to reroute. You, yeah. you're, you're off on the wrong course. And so he sends the prophets back. Now, if you wanted, you know, we could just very quickly run through some of those prophets and their specific messages mm-hmm. in context. I don't know. Would that be of value, you think? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's a, that would be a huge help. And if you would deign and have the time to do it, we'd love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, you can break the prophets into different categories, which I think is helpful. And first of all, you have key prophets of Israel, which after the kingdom of Israel divided into two parts, you have the northern kingdom of Israel, 10 tribes there. Then you have the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south that formed the the kingdom of Judah. But in the north, you have, first of all, Elijah and Elisha, Mm -hmm. and they are trying to send a series of warnings to both the people and to the kings and queens of Israel to say, you are not being faithful and God is going to judge that. And so they are largely a miracle-based ministry to deliver that message. Then you have Hosea, also a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. He preaches that Israel is a spiritual prostitute, and he does this by symbolically <laughs> marrying a prostitute twice, not once, but twice. Fun the same, job the there. same woman who was a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you see the, uh, the gravity of the symbolism in which they live, and also God's view of the depth and the gravity of Israel's sin, that by going after other gods, that they were spiritually following um, after uh, other leaders, and they were prostituting themselves out to other false gods. So that's Hosea. Then you move to Amos. Amos is so interesting is he prophesies in the north because he starts out condemning all of Israel's neighbors and then slowly moves in to prophesy against Israel. So this would be like, you know, <laughs> if, if uh, you're there in Horizon Church, you know, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, here comes this man of God and he starts prophesying against West Virginia. It's got some problems. And, and you're thinking, yeah, it was better when he was talking about the problems in Ohio and Maryland and, you know, other surrounding states. But West Virginia has its problems. And then he starts moving in on specific towns. You know, it's like Charleston and Morgantown. And you're like, yeah, there's some folks out in those areas that got problems. Well, then when he starts talking about Lost Creek and when he starts saying that there's problems that horizons, you might start to get a little offended and yeah. say, hey, now, now you're, now you're stepping on my toes. And so, uh, but this is the strategy of Amos. He kind of gets the Israelites on board by prophesying against 
against Israel's neighbors first, but then says, look, you got to look in the mirror as well, nation of Israel. There are some things you're doing that are off course, and God tries to correct that. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, you have Nahum, uh, and he prophesies largely against Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and this is God's love for the entire world, not just the Israelites, but for all yeah. of humanity, saying mm-hmm. you need to follow the one true God. So that really is your, your key prophets of Israel's northern kingdom. You move to the, the key prophets of the southern kingdom. You have Isaiah. He prophesied against trusting in human kings, against trusting in foreign nations, against trusting in false gods, pretty much any place of trust other than the one true God and the coming Messiah. And he has more to say about the Messiah than any other book of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's why it seems that the New Testament and Jesus himself both quote the book of Isaiah more than any other prophet of the Old Testament. Yeah, and so wasn't, has, it, uh, was it you that told me once that there were uh, church fathers who called Isaiah possibly the fifth gospel? Was that right? That's right. There are only two two things that have ever been referred to as the fifth gospel by the early church fathers. One was the land of Israel, that the land of Israel itself declares the glory of God and declares the nature of who Jesus is and what he is about as the Messiah. And the second thing they called the fifth gospel was the book of Isaiah, because yeah. it is just so powerful about telling us about who this paradoxical coming king and suffering servant Mm-hmm. Uh, was and what he was all about. So that's your book of Isaiah, rich in its portraits of the Messiah. Then also in the southern kingdom, you have Micah. He mm-hmm. prophesied that sin would be punished, but ultimately God would restore his people. He also has this very specific prophecy about how the Messiah will be born in, in Bethlehem, yeah. which is just stunning mm-hmm. uh, in the specificity, <laughs> clear back in the 8th century BC. So lovely foreshadowing of Jesus there. And then the third one is Habakkuk. Habakkuk, of course, he questions and complains lanes about, if you will, the series of unfortunate yeah. events that he sees going on in Israel. He's like, God, what gives here? And and God says, look, you've got to trust me even when you don't see what I'm doing. You yeah. still have to trust that I've got it under control. And really, this is where we get this idea of the just shall live by faith. That yeah. comes from Habakkuk, mm-hmm. that God says you got to have faith even when you don't understand it and understand that God ultimately knows what he's doing and will bring about the right things. Then you have Zephaniah, the very popular Zephaniah. <laughs> You know, often actually overlooked, and and he he prophesies that Israel will be comprehensively destroyed, but it will again be followed by God's good plan for restoration. And what you see there is, is God's deep love for both truth and love. Mm-hmm. That truth must be delivered, and its consequences of judgment are real by the nature of God's goodness. He must bring judgment, and yet. At the same time, God is so loving and so gracious. It's you know, it's like, uh, if you will, in, uh, in the musical Les Mis. I don't know if you know anyone who knows. Oh yes, I the, love that for the book. Yeah, yeah, there's this great book, this great musical, Les Mis, and it's got these two great characters, and one of them personifies grace, and the other one personifies law, and of course, ultimately, the law condemns itself in light of grace, and really, what you have in Zephaniah is this idea that God has to enforce the law, but in order to bring about the restoration, he ultimately will take the punishment of the law upon himself, again, looking forward to Jesus. So you have that there in Zephaniah. Then you have Joel, who prophesied concerning the day of the Lord, that there's this Mm -hmm. day of the Lord coming when the Lord comes to earth in judgment, uh, as well as an outpouring of his good spirit and the both beautiful things will happen for those who are following him, as well as judgment for those who have turned their back on God. Then you have Jeremiah. Of course, Jeremiah, as you all know, Josiah, Mm -hmm. he used symbolic actions Mm -hmm. to prophesy Israel's disobedience. He's the one that's called the weeping prophet. He's always crying in public. And that really, I think, shows the heart of God too, right? So God is not just distant when he brings judgment, but God mourns for us when we get off route. 
and yeah. knows that we need to be rerouted. And he has Jeremiah do all sorts. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both. Uh, of course, Ezekiel's later. We'll get to him. But with Jeremiah, he very much is trying to use symbolic actions and even seemingly crazy things in the public eye yeah. to bring uh, the Israelites back to, to faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then Obadiah, he prophesies primarily against this neighbor of Israel called Edom and says, look, Israel, you've got enemies, but don't worry uh, about it. God is going to bring a restoration. And so that's a very quick recap of the key prophets of the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. That then takes you into key prophets of the exile, prophets who literally, once the people of God have gone into exile, are still calling out and say, you're really off course now. You're so off course that God has had to use his judgment (laughs) to take you into a foreign land. So wake up now, see what's happening here and return to God. And for that, he uses Ezekiel, continuing Jeremiah's ministry of using symbolic actions, of using allegories, of preaching about his visions, and also promising that uh, for the first time we hear about a new world that's one day coming, a new Jerusalem, this this new heavens and new earth. And then uh, you also get Daniel, of yep. course, in the exile, who has many visions and speaks of the last days. And who, interestingly, by the way, Daniel is also mentioned in Babylonian court records as a man <laughs> named Dan Danel. And that often goes overlooked in Christian and even scholarly circles that Daniel was mentioned by name in the Babylonian court records, which, of course, is, is confirmation of his historicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but he also looks forward to the, the coming of the Messiah and this one he calls the Ancient of Days, the one yes. who has always, always been in charge of, of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, then once the exile ends, you have key prophets of the return. You have Zechariah, who mm-hmm. continues this theme that Daniel began on the day of the Lord and says, look, there is a day coming. If you are in pain, if you are in agony, if you are oppressed by your enemies, there is a day coming where God will rescue his faithful and set all things right. And he is the one who specifically says that the name of the Messiah will be Yeshua, Jesus. So again, phenomenal to hear clear back between 520, 518 BC, so over mm-hmm. 500 years before Jesus comes, Zechariah says, oh, by the way, remember, the Messiah's name is going to be a form of Joshua, the abbreviated form of Joshua, <laughs> Yeshua, which is just remarkable. Then you have Haggai, and Haggai is saying, look, remember that Zerubbabel is this new leader God has appointed. He's going to help you rebuild the temple so we can worship God again. That's the thrust of his message. We've got to worship God as a community if we're going to stay faithful, which is a great message for Christians today if they're yeah. out there saying, oh, I can just follow God. I don't need the local church, <laughs> right? Yes. I guess saying, no, if you want to be faithful, you got to follow the leadership God's provided, and you have to come together as God's people to worship together. And then uh, you have Malachi, and he's basically saying, look, now that you're returned from the exile, don't mess it up again and go back to doing all these unfaithful things with other gods and goddesses you were doing before. Don't slip into immorality. Don't slip into a lack of generosity, mm-hmm. but give to God what belongs to God and follow him faithfully. And that really is a very quick run through all the prophets. Hopefully I didn't cure anyone's insomnia on your <laughs> podcast, but that, but that really takes you through all of the key prophets of ancient Israel from roughly 930 BC, clear yeah. up through the last Messiah in about 430 BC. So that's a, a quick 600-year run through <laughs> Israel's prophets. Yes, and one that, uh, you know, folks like me paid however many thousands of dollars in the university to uh, go, and uh, you're all getting a free Bible education right here, folks. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, hopefully they can hear the applicability in this, because yeah. that's really my heart, is to say these prophets are so relevant for where we live now. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the final bit I thought maybe we could discuss here is the, for lack of a better term, I guess the relevance and the applicability of the prophets, because I think once you see what you've laid out for us, the prophets become less daunting and frightening and 
mysterious, and though there are certainly mysterious aspects to them, a lot of what they have to say, I feel like, is just as almost applicable, perhaps even as some of Paul's letters. What might you have to say about that, just their their calls to return to faithfulness and all that? Absolutely, Josiah. 100% right. Absolutely. I mean, you think about what all those prophets are doing, and there's really just some key overarching themes through all of their message. One is that God is sovereign. Right, all this other worldly stuff going on in their kingdom, in their time, their idolatry, their faithfulness, whatever it is, God is sovereign over all these things, and therefore we can trust Him. So that's one piece. And do we need to know that God is sovereign? Do we need to know that we can trust God in uncertain times when politics and kingdoms and wars and rumors of wars surround us, when there are difficulties in our personal lives, when we have experienced tragedy and things that we don't fully understand? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good message that yeah. we need to trust the sovereignty and goodness of God. God, right? (laughs) So that's a key message. Another one is pronouncing judgment on sin and unbelief, that God takes these things seriously, and so we must do likewise and recognize that, that sin is not just a regrettable mistake. Its essence is hostility towards our God, our Creator, and so we need to take that seriously if we're going to follow Him. The other one is encouraging the people of God in difficult times. Mm -hmm. And how do the prophets primarily do that? Well, they point towards a coming Messiah Mm -hmm. and the Messiah's coming kingdom, this time when the one who has suffered on our behalf becomes king and sets all things right. So those are the ways that I think that we really can see their applicability. I would say that we need to be careful of wrongly personalizing Mm -hmm. the specifics of the prophetic message. No one's guilty of doing that in this day and age. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I mean, I think think that's 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 a real danger. Probably the most popular one is, well, you know, Malachi does talk about bringing a tenth into the storehouses of God if we want to be blessed. So they say, I'm going to start tithing, and automatically God's going to start giving me more money. Mm -hmm. And then they start tithing, and that may or may not happen. And people are saying, well, wait a minute. I thought this was— I want my money back. (laughs) I want my money back. Right, exactly. (laughs) I want to return here. And I don't think anyone would say, oh, well, i got to personalize this message. God wants me to go and marry a prostitute. Please, I'll marry her again, right? So no one's personalizing this message of Hosea uh, the way that they are the personal you know, the message uh, of, of Malachi. So that that's a very clear disjunction there that we have to be aware of and mm-hmm. say, look, we can't overly personalize it. So how do we personalize it? We personalize its core message that in both Malachi as well as all the books of the Bible, including Hosea, God is calling us to faithfulness. He's calling mm-hmm. us to trust him and he's encouraging us and saying, I'm going to set all things right. And those are the ways that it really becomes personal, I think, to us as followers of Jesus. Yeah. Going back even to what you were talking about earlier, that uh, the same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets and who was working through them is the same Holy Spirit that indwells us now through faith. And I think then it requires, uh, you know, it requires uh, some detailed and careful reading. You know, I think that's probably part of the problem, too. We don't live in a society that wants to read texts slowly and carefully. But I do think there's an unbelievable reward, of course, for reading all of God's Word, but I think particularly in the prophets, because they're just so, I think, often neglected and... uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of beautiful a beautiful truth contained in those writings. Absolutely, absolutely. And no one disputes that these prophecies were written well before the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, even your most critical scholars in the world today of Judaism or of Christianity would all agree that these were written hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene. And to go back, though, and see the specificity with which they prophesy specific things about where the Messiah will be born, 
what he will be like, what things he will do, what's the name of his hometown, what his actual name will be. Mm-hmm. And you start to string this together and you say, wow, I, I think even the, the hardest skeptic, if they take a serious look at the time these prophets were written, writing their message and, uh, and proclaiming their message versus Jesus's life and what is undisputed by scholars on Jesus's life, you have to acknowledge that something truly miraculous has happened there. And so for the believer as well as the unbeliever, these prophets are phenomenally important. Yes, absolutely. Well, that was an awesome conversation we just had with Dr. Bill Barker, and it was so awesome. We kept it going, and we've got a second installment of this episode coming to you next week. So in the meantime, as always, if you have questions, comments, want to discuss anything with us, feel free to shoot an email to podcast at horizonschurch.net or interact with us on social media. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week for part two. (music) 